There's a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And welcome. Good evening. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thank you so very much for tuning into my show. Welcome for our listeners in Dallas at 6.60 a.m. in Phoenix on 9.60 a.m. The Patriot and on in Colorado Springs, AM 1416, FM 101.1. And if you're listening on Facebook Live, uh, I love having you do that. I want to encourage you, if you're hearing this on radio, or if you're listening to this, I have many friends tell me I listen, they listen on podcasts later. Um, it's fun to go back to Facebook Live because each of these segments that we do in the show, we cut off. So you can come back and find, you know, segment one from tonight's show. It's kind of fun to do that. And so uh, welcome to the show. I want to also thank our sponsor here at the beginning of the show. So I'm sure that our listeners everywhere hear this, but our sponsor for America Can We Talk is GC Work. Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. And for tonight's first five, I have lamented about the uh, how we're doing in Washington in terms of progress um, and the getting major pieces of legislation through the Republican-controlled House, Republican-controlled Senate, and the Republican White House seems like a formula for success, and we haven't been very successful so far. I'm going to talk to you in the second hour about the tax bill, which is a is on track to be a pretty great victory. Um, but what I want to talk about tonight is just one among the things that they're not legislative victories that Donald Trump and the uh, Republican-controlled Congress have uh, have accomplished, but they're kind of major game changers that Donald Trump has accomplished through his appointment of the right kind of people serving uh, in the administ- in his administration several of the agencies putting a stop to some of the most corrupt, unbelievable things that would have continued as they were if we had Hillary Clinton as our president. One I want to hit on is I talked about it last week, and I but again to point out how just amazing this level of corruption and deceit was. The Consumer Financial Protection Board, CFPB, had almost unfettered authority with no accountability to anyone, no ability of Congress to stop them and whatever they were doing. They had, over the time that, they, that it was run entirely by the Democrats, forced financial institutions to settle with it with no way out, no way to get around them, no way to get review of the alleged infractions that CFPB accused these financial institutions of having committed. They had forced these institutions to settle and turned over $5 billion as in boy, B as in boy, billion dollars in penalties to the civil penalty fund. So financial institutions spending the money that they have paying fines to the federal government, which in turn turn those monies over to left-wing community organizations who are allied with the Democrat Party. This is a, I, I don't even know if slush fund's the right word, it's not exactly the right word, but it, is, it was a racket that they were engaged in. So this has been uh, stopped. Similarly, and I want to be sure you understand the kind of stunt the EPA has been engaged in, which has now stopped because of President Trump. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, has had, had engaged in an ongoing practice of having groups, organizations, 
file lawsuits against the EPA claiming, you know, the time period on this this um, issue is too slow or too long. Uh, this regulation should be interpreted differently. We The law, should you should be forcing companies to do this or preventing companies to do that. They'd file lawsuits, but the organizations suing the EPA were actually colluding, if I may use a popular word, colluding with the EPA, and the EPA would settle these lawsuits by giving into the demands of these environmental groups. And the consequence of that was that instead of the procedure that is in place in federal law, when the EPA and other organizations, other federal agencies have to actually give the public notice of pending regulations, allow for a period of comment by the public and input from the public, avoiding all of that notice and comment period requirement under federal law, because the EPA could say, well, we're not issuing new regulation. We are just settling a lawsuit But they were advancing their left-wing, big-government control over America agenda by this racket of settling lawsuits with the um, with various organizations. And at the in the EPA, the um, the uh, administrator of the EPA, I'm trying to find quickly how he worded it. it was a really, really great quote that he had. EPA administrator Scott Pruitt said the days of regulation through litigation are over. This is a consequence of a president recognizing what the left does to circumvent the rule of law, circumvent the elected members of Congress, and have agencies create law. So EPA made a great change. CFPB made a great change. Huge changes with respect to how union dues can be used by unions, a case pending before the Supreme Court. I'll try to get to it later in the show. My point in all this first five tonight is that there are many changes occurring in Washington that aren't just signature issues out of Congress with a bill being past, but actually tremendous consequence for reasserting the rule of law, reasserting the authority, the authority of the elected members of Congress, and not letting agencies run our country out of the control of we the people. This is Debbie George Ass, America Can We Talk. Come right back. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? Can you and welcome back to America Can We Talk, and thanks so much for tuning in. So I want to read you a quote, and then um, I'm hoping that my listeners, because we are tuned into the news, you might recognize what this person is referring to. But John Bolton, former U.N. ambassador, very widely recognized and respected conservative, um, had this to say. He used this expression recently referring to something. He said, this is the first attempted coup d'etat in U.S. history. And coup d'etat, of course, you know, he means the overthrow of the government. So he's talking about something occurring now. And, and former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton said, this is the first attempted coup d'etat in U- U.S. history. What he's talking about is what we in America are now finally learning and understanding better in relation to what happened last year during the presidential campaign and after the presidential campaign when the, uh, and the election when the Obama administration was apparently using the power of the national security forces 
and your tax dollars and the power of the federal government to interfere in the campaign and to use a uh, just a faked dossier to bring about spying on a political opponent. And, you know, they this is and we're still watching the impact of that because we now we still have uh, Robert Mueller pursuing this investigation of the Trump Russia collusion, which, again, has produced nothing. But I thought those are really profound words the way he described it. And really, folks, it is it's kind of funny. I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago who said, you know, you should just talk about this the whole two hours on the show, the whole two hours. This is so massive and so important to understand. But I promise we're not going to do that the whole two hours. However, I do want to hit on something that's really important, several facts that are really, really, really important to understand. What occurred and what we're now we're trying to figure out what occurred is whether this happened is did the Obama Justice Department go to the FISA court, which is not a regular court. It is a a specialty court, which hears cases, hears petitions, and grants the the petitioner, the Department of Justice, the right to spy on foreign entities, uh, foreign agents, and uh, because they are claiming something, some of this is occurring, did the Obama administration take this goofball dossier and to the FISA court as the premise for the argument for the FISA court issuing the warrant, letting the Obama team spy on Russians. But really what they were doing was spying on all the people in the Trump administration who had any connection with any of these Russians. And so, the, actually, the, the very, very brilliant Andrew McCarthy had an article about this, and it's up on our website, which is AmericaCanWeTalk.org, and we post it on our Facebook page, where you're watching on Facebook Live, America Can We Talk. This, um, the way Andrew McCarthy posed the question, we need to know if what the administration's supporters are saying is true. In seeking surveillance authority on the rationale that Trump associates were acting as agents of a foreign power, did the Justice Department and the FBI present the FISA court with the Steele dossier, and I'll again remind you in a minute what that is, the Steele dossier, as if it were a product of U.S. intelligence reporting, rather that what it really was, a political opposition research product commissioned by the Clinton Foundation. And again, excuse me, the Clinton campaign. Again, Hillary Clinton... And through her law firm, hired Fusion GPS, which is a smear company that they that's their that's their, what they do for a living. They smear people. Did they hire G- Fusion GPS? Who in turn hired? I mean, they did hire Fusion GPS. We know this. We know Fusion hired this uh, guy Steele, this British spy whose last name is Steele, and Steele came up with this Russian dossier making absurd, idiotic allegations against President Trump. Not not a shred of which have been proven. Just these crazy, crazy stories, and the um, and and in addition to the fact that this guy, I mean, engaged in what appears to be creative writing, trying to come up with just just racy and disgusting allegations about President Trump, and that in turn made its way to the FBI, and that's what they used. 
the question is, that's what they used to get a FISA warrant. So now they have the the power and authority and, and resources of the national security of this country engaging in spying on the political opposition. And so that, that is one really big question. And then I want you just to, again, it's not follow the money so much as follow these facts because this is going to be, I mean, this guy, the one comment I just read that to you earlier uh, that was made by um, um, John Bolton, a former US amb- UN ambassador, these are comments made by many pundits online now. We are looking at the single biggest instance of corruption, the single biggest scandal in all of American history, if, this, if what appears to be true is true. And it's really important to understand some of the pieces. Um, this is, you know, the Obama administration, to be really clear, not just the Obama administration, but the American left see today and saw during the campaign, they saw Donald Trump as a threat, not just to Hillary winning and having Democrat control, but a far bigger thing. They saw the idea of Donald Trump draining the swamp in Washington exposing things like we talked about in the first segment, how the EPA circumvents the power of the people to elect government officials to create our laws and that, you know, circumvented the EPA rulemaking process. And the CFPB is basically slamming financial institutions who can do nothing about it except pay the fines, and then they're sending that money to left-wing causes. Planned Parenthood, another example. Planned Parenthood gets millions and millions of dollars combined between the state government state governments in this country and the federal government, and in turn uses those dollars. You pay taxes. It goes to Washington. They give money to Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood turns around to lobby for itself against your interests. I mean, this stuff that was going on under the Obama administration was a deep corruption of the idea of American government. So Hillary Clinton and others of her ilk could see that Donald Trump might really, really change things, and they did not like that. So just to be a few of the just really unquestionably egregious things that occurred under the Obama years, things like um, their decision not to save the four Americans in Benghazi, not to save them. They chose not to help. They lied about Obamacare. If you like your health insurance, you can keep it. Like your doctor, you can keep them. Flat out lies. They knew at the time they said it. Doubling, doubling the U.S. debt with nothing to show for it. Trading the Taliban five Taliban uh, people we had in custody for a traitor. The whole creation of ISIS happened because of ridiculously weak foreign policy and bad decisions. And under Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, selling 20% of America's uranium assets used to make nuclear weapons to Russia. All of that is going to come crumbling down. So they're trying to find a way during the campaign to make sure that Trump is discredited. Every single FISA court application had to be signed by former Attorney General Loretta Lynch. So she's signing off on these. Uh, James Clapper testified that he knew that every FISA request that was ever requested and warrant issued could not have happened without President Obama knowing it. And also that FISA courts, because it's, it's so serious to get a warrant from this court, the FISA courts uh, rarely turn down applications because... Everyone involved in creating the petitions for those uh, FISA warrants understands it's a very, very serious thing. You don't just have you know, lightly and, and cavalierly apply for a warrant. So they, it, they actually got turned down once, and then they turned up with something 
it, that convinces FISA court to issue this warrant. So we have the administration in Washington and the Democrat, uh, his ally, Hillary Clinton, the Democrat, getting the power of the federal government to spy on the other side. And in, in the midst of it all, creating some delusion in the American people's eyes that the real problem is, of course, you know, Donald Trump allegedly colluding with the Russians, which despite all the allegations and hysteria and CNN reporting, there's been no evidence of that. Compounding all of that, the news that came out this week, also important to understand, there's a gentleman whose name is Peter. His last name, name I'm going to spell it once, S-T-R-Z-O-K, I think it's just Strzok, but whatever his name is. This is a guy in the FBI who was involved. He was demoted recently. The FBI has been attempting to avoid Congress and not answer questions. They did not divulge to Congress. The guy, this guy, Peter Strzok, had to be kicked out of his position. They didn't tell. They didn't tell it when they should have. Strzok was the one who was both. Uh, he was un- involved in the FBI investigation of Hillary and the um, emails, uh, and she, and he was also in the. Um, involved in investigation into um he was involved in the uh investigation of trump russia the collusion stuff um he sat in at fbi intelligence uh, briefings on hillary clinton this is a guy who's been in the middle of all this mess and the reason he finally got demoted was he was he was sending text messages back and forth with his mistress his girlfriend also in the fbi about how much he hated hated trump hated republicans blah 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 and this is a guy in the middle of we we have folks we have a corrupt fbi and justice department and the pieces are starting to come together i'll keep you posted right now i have to go to a break when we come back we have claire lopez joining us and explain to us what's happening in israel and saudi arabia don't go away Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. 
If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. As I mentioned before the break, we have a great guest joining us. And she's actually been on the show, I think, um, I don't know how many times, quite a few times. But I'm going to quickly tell you about her again, just so you know uh, what a treat it is to have her with us. Claire Lopez is currently the Vice President for Research and Analysis at the CSP, Center for Security Policy. Um, She is a senior fellow at the London Center for Policy Research. Uh, She's on the board of advisors of all sorts of conservative organizations. She's a Middle East expert extraordinaire, former CIA operative, uh, testified many times in Congress. She teaches at universities. I mean, she guest lectures. She's someone who's really recognized nationally as an expert on um, Middle East policy and and just what's, uh, you know, Middle East I don't know why we call it safety. So I hope that uh, we have her online. I think we do. Claire? Yes. Hi, Debbie. Good to be with you. Hi, Claire. Great to have you. Okay. Well, as I mentioned when I emailed to ask if you might be able to join me tonight, I want to do a little tiny bit on Saudi Arabia. The, the news about that has a little bit dissipated, but a lot of people watching the Middle East uh, and you know just not watching the world situation saw that in Saudi Arabia there, were, um, there was quite a governmental shakeup and an arrest of very senior people, of billionaire-type princes over there. And um, I read the legal the uh, statement put out by their um, their Saudi Arabia attorney general, I guess, yesterday. But what I want to know and hope you can tell us about is, is what's happening in Saudi Arabia with this shakeup, is this religious? Is it political? Is it just anti-corruption? Like, what's happening over there? 
Well, I think in a word, it's survival. Um, Saudi Arabia is is um, confronting some existential challenges right now. Um, the biggest one comes from uh, externally, uh, from Iran. Uh, Iran is a nuclear weapons power. Um, it is an expanding, aggressive uh, geostrategic player in the region. It has terror proxies and militias all over the place, including the former Iraq, the former Syria, and moving uh, around to surround, really, the, the, the Arabian Peninsula uh, with, with Houthi rebels in Yemen, threatening key straits, the Strait of Hormuz, the straits that are called the Battle Mandeb between Yemen and the Horn of Africa. So that's the existential challenge. Uh, the other one is more internal, and that has to do with economics. And uh, the young crown prince, who's only 32 years old, he is the son of the king, King Salman, and the crown prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, that means son of Salman, uh, is often called MBS for short. And um, he has some ideas about how to uh, push Saudi Arabia forward uh, to survive economically, and that involves uh, diversifying the economy away from just oil for so many decades it's relied uh, almost exclusively for income on oil, and that's done very well uh, for, for a select group of the senior princes of the Saudi royal family. Uh, but now with so many other developments like fracking in the United States um, and uh, the technology to extract oil from shale uh, formations, um, so, many, so many technological advances uh, and the drop in oil prices that goes along with that, really mean that the Saudis cannot rely just on oil anymore. And so MBS's idea is called Vision 2030. It's to diversify the economy away from just oil. Um, and also as part of this and part of consolidating power, for he is intended to be king, the father of the king, Salman, is in his 80s now and not in good health. Um, it's expected that MBS will be named king uh, at some point in the near future or not too distant future and uh he had to, co to consolidate power too and so what you saw a couple of weeks ago was a roundup of former top saudi officials princes even uh, there are thousands of them by the way um and um also uh, a number of business people uh, businessmen with extraordinary wealth one of whom caught our attention here in the united states because he's um donated to so many institutions of uh, higher learning universities and chairs and departments and so forth of Middle East studies, and that is Prince Awalid bin Talal. Now, it was a shakeup uh, under the guise of corruption, and yes, I mean, it goes without saying that the, the top ranks of, of Saudi um, financial world are, are corrupt. Of course they are. Uh, but this is not just about corruption. It's about consolidation of power. The important thing, and I'll, I'll just add this one last bit, um, about the, the arrests that were made by MBS um, is that it wasn't just businessmen. It, it wasn't just top uh, officials or former officials. He has rounded up uh, dozens of Wahhabi clerics and uh, senior officials or senior, not officials, but senior uh, jurists. Um, of, of the Wahhabi establishment inside Saudi Arabia, that got our attention because that is uh, going to the heart of, of the partnership that's existed in Saudi Arabia for more than a couple hundred years 
between the Wahhabi clerical establishment uh, and the royals, the Saudi royals. So uh, this, this is what's going on in Saudi Arabia. Okay, I can't, I mean, in law school, I used to try to take notes and, like, take down almost every word that the professor said. I got pretty good at it. I cannot even begin to keep up with you, Claire. First off, you're just tuning in. Claire Lopez, the fount of knowledge on so much relating to Middle East and America's national defense. So, but you mentioned the thing that got America's attention the most, Claire, was the arrest of Wahhabi um, jurists. So, isn't that a good thing? Does it signal that there's perhaps a move away within Saudi Arabian government to so much deference to the Wahhabi jurists and maybe more deference to elected government? It could be a hopeful thing. Um, the, the other thing that, that happened uh, about a year ago, actually, uh, in 2016, late 2016, was that MBS, then as now, Crown Prince, um, took away some of the powers of the much-feared religious police they have in Saudi Arabia called the Mutawin. And these police had the right to stop people on the street, women who weren't properly veiled or might be caught trying to drive, you know, behind the wheel of a car, or even men, um, you know, maybe uh, trying to talk to a woman. The police in Saudi Arabia had the power to arrest people like this. Uh, Well... MBS took that power away. He removed the power of arrest of the Mutawin a whole year ago. So this puts a little more in perspective President Donald Trump's speech that he gave in Riyadh during that trip this past May 2017, uh, when he addressed the collected, as I call them, mob bosses of the Sunni world that King Salman had gathered together there in Riyadh. And as part of that speech, our President Trump called upon the Saudis, and he, 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 he used wording that, I don't know if he knew it or not, that is straight out of the Koran, and he said, drive them out, drive them out. And then he said, drive them out of your places of worship. Um, and it was very clear, without being any more explicit than that, that he was talking about just such as these Wahhabi clerics and jurists that are now under arrest. So it could be a hopeful sign. I mean, do we expect Saudi Arabia to turn into a Jeffersonian liberal representative democracy tomorrow? No, of course not. Um, but is it changing, modernizing, and moving in some directions that we would think of as positive? Yes, it is. That is great. So, you know, we only have a couple minutes left here, but Claire, I want to ask you, do you think all these changes happening, is there anything that you, you've been describing here within Saudi Arabia's government? Is this something that America should just sit back and be quiet, let them work it out? Do we need to be helping them? Do we need to be, I mean, is there some impact on what we, or does it mean we should be doing something in response to all this? Right. I know your listeners always are hearing, or, or, you know, listening for, um, you know, something to do. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, this is U.S. policy, foreign policy we're talking about now, too, because, as I said, about President Donald Trump's visit over there, his speech to the group, um, and his involvement in helping the Saudis and other Sunni states of the Gulf Cooperation Council. These are Gulf, Persian Gulf states, Sunni states of the region, which are actually working together with our number one ally in the region, Israel. Thank you, President Trump, for... Um, declaring that the United States will recognize Jerusalem as the eternal and undivided capital of Israel, by the way. Amen. But working together to counter um, the aggressive expansionism, uh, dangerous expansionism of Iran, that affects us. Iran's nuclear power 
weapons, ballistic missile, BW, CW, that all affects us too. So to support what the president is doing, support your representatives who get behind the president is, is what I would say. And, you know, if, if you're so inclined, speak out, write, blog, uh, post online. Okay, Claire, you have a fabulous Twitter feed. Can you share with our listeners your, your Twitter handle? Sure. It's my name, Claire M. Lopez. And uh, you'll, you'll see my, my photo there. You'll, you'll recognize it right away, I hope. <laughs> and uh, I would uh, very much welcome um, some more followers anytime. Yeah, I love your Twitter feed. I, I follow you. I think you follow me, too. It's at Claire, and Claire is C-L-A-R-E. At- All right. I should have spelled that. C-L-A-R-E-M Lopez. Okay. This was an awesome interview. Claire, thank you so very much. If I don't see you before again, Merry Christmas. Thanks. Same to you. Okay, folks, when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about Jerusalem a little bit more. So don't go away, and we'll we'll figure all that out. Goodbye. Come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom, 
and a free listing of your rights. Go to firstliberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America. Can we talk? Okay, I'm fussing with my <laughs> my uh, Facebook Live thing. I got sideways feed. Anyway, you're back. Hello, Facebook Live listeners. I'll tell you something. On radio, which I love doing radio, love having you on, but literally on Facebook Live, we're talking like tens of thousands of, of views of my of these segments. So I got to have Facebook Live working. Anyway, sorry about that. Okay, so that was Claire Lopez. She's just beyond brilliant and you know the little question you ask her she can go off on so many things and i end up feeling just so grateful for someone who can understand the issues like she does um you know just follow them with depth and clarity and i actually had intended to talk with her about the um situation in um, israel which we briefly touched on but um i wanted to go ahead and let her go because actually i happen to know she's at a christmas party she's in washington and I know she was at a Christmas party, which I appreciate her stepping out to talk to us. Um, but I want to, um, and I wanted to have her really talk about the Saudis because I knew she would really have a an in depth understanding. And I did. I saw some people commenting about how America needs to get in there and and um, you know whatever, make sure the Saudis are doing this okay. I had the feeling listening to her that mostly what's occurring is a positive within Saudi Arabia, and they're really responding to. What Donald Trump was saying about, you know, kind of essentially modernizing, driving out all those forces that can only lead to violence within Islam. If they're trying to live a very repressive police can stop you on the street because your hijab isn't uh, properly situated or whatever. So uh, it sounds like a modernizing thing. And it's an amazing thing to think of women uh, living in that country. And there are women within in Saudi Arabia who are professionals, doctors, lawyers. They can actually participate in the economy, but still have such unbelievably uh, repressed lifestyles. So I um, love that, and I was very glad to get her take on that. I want to talk about this switch in um, Israel uh, where Donald Trump did this past week announce both that uh, America will recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and eventually move the American embassy, embassy to Jerusalem, which is currently in Tel Aviv. And the reason this is 
so consequential, not just to the relations between Israel and America. It is consequential to that. I'll back up and say, and some of you may know, but in 1995, I think it was, uh, 1995, America passed a law, our country, our Congress passed a law saying that we would recognize um, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And all this time since then, the um, every president since then has talked about it and said, yeah, it's a great idea, and we really need to do this, and that's the right thing. Yeah, 1995 was called the Jerusalem Embassy Act, and the law mandated moving America's embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to a unified Jerusalem by May of 1999. So we're nearly 20 years past the deadline we set to move that to to move the American embassy to Jerusalem. It's significant for many reasons, and I want to talk about those a little bit. I'm sure Claire would have loved to chime in more because I think she was very much in favor of this too. But it's not just that Israel is our number one ally in the Middle East, and it's not, and, and which they are, and that it's not just that they are their only country in the Middle East that has a, uh, you know, Western style liberty. They have elected government. They have rights of the people. I mean, it's a, Eric, my husband, Eric, and I have been to Israel. He's been there many, many times. We were just there earlier this year, I think in February. And, um, you know, it's, it is like it, it is certainly an ancient country. And just obviously the ancient history of Christianity and Judaism is just evident everywhere. And Islam, evident everywhere. But the... Um, the uh, culture there is very much like a Western style culture of liberty. Love Israel. So they are our ally in the Middle East. So standing alone, just think about this. Think of any other country in the world where the rest of the world says to that country, you can't choose your capital. We tell you who your capital is. We refuse to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of your country. So all by itself, it was a great thing for America-Israeli relations, but it's really a lot deeper than that. And it has to do with the idea of sending the message to not just the Palestinians, but the aggressive Islamists, aggressive Muslim countries, and aggressive Islamists around the world, that they are not going to dictate to America how we conduct our foreign policy. Because you probably saw after President Trump announced this, and I will say every president since we've had that law passed in 1995, every president has said, and this must happen, it will happen, I'm going to make it happen, we're going to do this, we're going to move the Capitol. And you folks, it isn't, uh, they, they didn't do it. And I'm not faulting, I'm not going to run through all those presidents and analyze why they didn't do it. But the overarching reason is, because the Palestinians and other Islamic uh, aggressive groups in the Middle East countries and aggressive groups demand that the world not let Israel name its own capital and threaten violence. In fact, there has been threatened violence and some violence in Israel and other countries since the announcement by President Trump. But this decision by President Trump to say, we're going to have our capital. We're going to recognize the capital of Israel that they claim is their capital, and we're going to move our embassy there is a modern version of what President Reagan said, lo, those many years ago, when he just said, 
we don't negotiate with terrorists. We have been responding to the threat of terror by Palestinians and other aggressive Islamists around the world every time we again capitulate to saying, well, we better not move the capital. We better not recognize that Israel has a capital. It is Jerusalem. We better not move our embassy. We're capitulating to that mindset that says we'll threaten violence if you don't give us what you want. And I got to tell you, folks, this is a tremendous move by President Trump. It's, again, a move motivated by doing what's right, not doing what the um, powers that be in the world tell you to do. And I want to tell you a little more history about this because it's really, really, it's, it's almost unbelievable when you finally realize um, some of the facts about the, uh, the location of Israel and what has been in U.S. law, among other places. A hundred years ago, 100 years ago, and there's a great article on this, and I think it's on our americacomingtalk.org website. And if it is, I'll make sure it's there. But it's by uh, one of my favorite authors, Daniel Horowitz, in the Conservative Review. It's called Correcting the Century-Old Mistake of Placating Arab Violence. And he talks about the Balfour Declaration 100 years ago when America, the U.S., recognized the Jewish people's right to sovereignty over the entirety of the land west of the Jordan River, including Jerusalem. That Balfour Declaration was adopted by the Allied Powers in 1920 and the League of Nations in 1922. Everybody agreed and everybody said, the whole world said, yes, of course, this is the land that belongs to the Jewish people. And there has never been a repeal, a rescinding, a reversal of the Balfour Declaration. It has been the understanding of the world and the the world powers for all this time. There's also been uh, within the United States in September of uh, 1922. Um, President Warren Harding signed, you know, House H.J. Resolution 322, formally adopting the mandate for Palestine as official U.S. policy. The resolution recognized Jewish dominion over all of Palestine, which leads me to something I've talked about before in this show. And I'm going to do a special show sometime, maybe one of my podcasts from home, talking about the history of Israel and the Palestine and what we now call the Palestinian people. There is no historic group like the Palestinian people. It's a made-up modern term. It does not refer, the group that now uses the term for itself, the Palestinian people, is not an ancient group always in that land. In fact, the word Palestine, as you just heard me saying from Warren Harding, was referring to the Jewish people in Israel. It was referring to the land called Palestine, a Jewish term, and that term harkened back all the way to the days of, of a Roman emperor long, long ago. So throughout our history, we have had the acknowledgement that the land that we now call Israel, and then, of course, we had everything that happened after World War II and establishing the state of Israel, but the concept of the Palestinian people being a people who've been removed from the land that is historically theirs, the group that now calls itself the Palestinian people, is a farce. It is unfactual. It is not true. And this is 
one of the deep reasons that President Trump's action was so important because he is, he didn't say all these words, but he's rejecting the claim. He's saying, we're not going to honor this false claim by the Palestinian people to this land and say they have the right to claim this land, so therefore we can't let Israel have their own capital. This this was a profound move, and I'll tell you one other thing, because I know a lot of the uh, liberal hand-ringers are just out of their minds thinking we've set back the peace process. You know, 100 years, we're, we're always trying to make peace in Israel. Folks, we can't make peace with the Palestinians by conceding to them. We should have learned this, and, and all of you listening who pay attention to Israel, you know this. We've had every president for decades saying they're going to find peace, they're going to negotiate peace. The Palestinians don't want peace. The group that calls themselves the Palestinians today, which are not really the Palestinian people, but for lack of other name, the Palestinians do not want peace. They want the destruction of Israel. What President Trump did in recognizing Jerusalem as the capital and agreeing to move the embassy there is telling the Palestinian people, you're not going to get away with this anymore. If you want to work toward peace, great. We'll help you work toward peace. But there can be no peace while you Palestinians claim and say and write and speak all the time saying Israel has no right to exist. We want death to all the Jews. We want death to Israel. This is the Palestinian mantra over and over and over and over. And this was a strong, positive step by President Trump saying America is not going to recognize this pressure by the Palestinians and step back in fear. We're going to step up and focus it as a step toward peace. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. We come back after the break. I'm going to play a, a clip for you from Alexa, the product by Amazon. You won't believe it. Come right back. 